Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube and Facebook Live. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 South East Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. One Sunday after church service, and uh, he approached his parents, and he said, uh, suddenly he announced to his mother, Mom, I, I, I've decided I'm going to be a minister when I grow up. And, and his mom said, well, okay, that's, that's okay with us, but what, what made you decide that all of a sudden? Well, the boy said, if I have to go to church every Sunday anyway, I, I, I think it'd be a lot more fun to stand up and yell at people than sit down and listen. But uh, this morning, I'm going to ask that God would give us ears to, to hear um, and to listen to what His Spirit wants to say to each one of us. Uh, we're going to be in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 3, 2 Kings chapter 3. Uh, but before we get there, I want to read this quote, and my wife actually found this and shared it with me. And so I want to look at this before we dive into the message today, and it's here on the screen. It's here on the screen. It says, we're stuck in a generation, and I had culture where loyalty is just a tattoo, love is just a quote, and lying is the new truth. I'm going to read it again. It says, we're stuck in a generation, a culture where loyalty is just a tattoo, love is just a quote, and lying is the new truth. But I want to challenge us from the start this morning that this reality, this reality should not be true in the life of those who go by Christian or Christ follower. And so today, um, we're going to be looking in 2 Kings chapter 3 at a story that involves Elisha the prophet. And we're going to be looking at the rest of God's scripture here. And we're going to see that God wants and desires and requires steadfast loyalty. That's the title of the sermon today, steadfast loyalty. He requires steadfast loyalty from his people. And I told him in the last service, I said Redskins fans, but Washington football team, I mean commanders, right? We're going to get there. This is not the same thing that you demonstrate year after year um, in your loyalty to your team. So we want to make that clear. But we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 3. Would you stand with me? It's in the U version, the Bible app there. You can find it in events. Uh, would you stand with me as we read the word this morning? Um, 2 Kings Chapter 3, we're going to read 15 verses, and then we're going to go back and we're going to work ourselves through it um, a little bit at a time. But here it is, 2 Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Joram, son of Ahab, became king of Israel and Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned 12 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. 
Now Mesha, king of Moab, raised sheep, and he had to pay the king of Israel a tribute of a hundred thousand lambs and the wool of a hundred thousand rams. But after Ahab died, that was the king of Israel, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel, Ahab's son. At that time, King Joram sent out from Samaria and mobilized all of Israel. He also sent this message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? I will go with you, he replied. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Well, by what route shall we attack? That's a fair question, right? He asked, through the desert of Edom, he answered. And so the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And after a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? And an officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. That was the prophet of the Lord. In verse 12, Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. In verse 13, Elisha said to the king of Israel, Why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. No, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. And Elisha said, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. But now bring me a harpist. And while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated this morning. So I want to take a minute to rewind and see what's going on under the surface of this story that we find in 2 Kings chapter 3. I I want to take a quick look there before we begin to unpack this idea of steadfast loyalty. So we jump back. We jump back to verse 10. We jump back to verse 10, and these three kings have teamed up. They're going to go against um, the king of Moab, who has rebelled against Israel, said, I'm not paying you. I'm not paying you all of that anymore. I'm rebelling. I'm going to do my own thing. And so they've, they've went out, and they've decided to take the route through the desert of Edom, right? And so the, the odd thing is, is that this isn't the most direct route. This wouldn't have been the most efficient, most quick way to get there. But they've decided to go this way because they think that the people of Moab will be least expecting them to come this route which is fair. It's the long way around, right? People say, you've taken the long way around. Well, they've taken the long way around to get there, and it's taken them seven days, and now they're without water. The water source in the land has dried up, and so they found themselves in a hard place, between a rock and a hard place, right? They found themselves without a necessary thing for their cattle, for their horses, for their army, for all living things with them. They need water. And so we find ourselves in verse 10, the king of Israel saying, what has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? Verse 11, but Jehoshaphat asked, Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. And this king still had reverence for Yahweh, the one true God, uh, as God alone. He still revered the Lord in his service as king. And so he says, is there no prophet of the Lord here? through whom we may inquire of the Lord, through whom we may seek 
seek the Lord? Is there no prophet of God in our presence? And an officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. See, Elisha's new on the scene. He had, been, he had been walking with and serving the prophet Elijah for many years. Now Elijah has been taken away just a chapter or two earlier. And so Elisha has taken on the mantle of prophet, but he's kind of the new guy in town. He says, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of the prophet Elijah. He used to be his cowboy. Well, he's here. And Jehoshaphat says, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. They've humbled themselves enough to say, we're in a bad place. We need to seek out the prophet Elisha to inquire of the Lord. So they go down to Elisha's tent. Now, it's kind of an odd thing, but as you read God's word, and you probably experienced it uh, maybe in your life, Elisha has perhaps come to the neighborhood of the army at the instigation of God's spirit. Right? What in the world is Elisha doing in the middle of the desert of Edom with these three kings who are marching out to war? But he's there. God's in the details. You, you've heard of being in the right place at the right time? Well, Elisha's in the right place at the right time. And because of the distress of these three kings, because of their distress, God is going to use it as one means in his hand to do two things. He's going to distinguish the prophet Elisha in the eyes of King Joram of Israel. And two, he's going to point the king of Israel, King Joram, to the Lord as the only true God who is worthy of his undivided loyalty. His undivided loyalty. And so this morning, I believe God wants us to see and understand two things from this story as well. And the first is this, God's understanding of loyalty And the second will be how he wants loyalty to be lived out in our lives as his people. And so the first is God's understanding of loyalty. And we we, we can't understand that without looking at his words himself, right? So we're going to look at Matthew 22 and verse 34. And Jesus is speaking here. It's on the screen. This is Jesus speaking. And it says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, the religious teachers, And one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And so when Jesus, in Matthew 22 here, when Jesus says the most important command is to love God with all your heart, and with all your mind, and with all your soul... He's citing a verse from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And a Hebrew translation of that verse in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is your God, Yahweh alone. And then what follows is, You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And so if the greatest commandment is to love God with all, what does it mean to love God? Is loving God to hold some particular emotion deep within our heart? Is loving God defined by uh, actions and behaviors uh, that we act in a certain way? Because in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the love relationship between God and Israel, his people, is defined by the Hebrew word hasad, H-E-S-E-D, hasad, which is translated steadfast or faithful 
love. That's how, that's how that relationship, that covenant is defined. And it's in the love of the context of a covenant that you make with another person. Its basic meaning is being true to that covenant. So one description of hasad could be loyal love. Loyal love. And so God's understanding of loyalty in the life of his people could be summarized as this. Demonstrating steadfast or faithful love in relationship with him, in covenant relationship with him. That's God's understanding of loyalty for us. Demonstrating steadfast and faithful love in relationship with him. And so now that we have that understanding in place, that definition, let's look back at our story and again. Let's take another look at it. And we find ourselves in verse 13 here. And it's a, it's a weird interaction because it says, Elisha says to the king of Israel, Elisha says to the man in charge that the king of Israel, he is very bold because he stands in the presence. He represents, he represents God to his people. And it says, Elisha says to the king of Israel, why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Essentially, he says, you've been disloyal to the Lord, but now you want to seek him so that he'll help your plans succeed? Why do we get this sort of response from the prophet Elisha to the king of Israel? Well, if we get the answer, if we jump back into verse 2 and 3 of what we just read, we jump back up there to verse 2, and, and it says this, speaking of the king, it says, He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. Right? So it says, He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as bad as mom and dad. He wasn't as bad as mom and dad, but he still did some evil things. And we know why he wasn't as bad, because it says he got rid of the sacred stone of Baal uh, that his father had made. Nevertheless, verse 3 says, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. Okay, pastor, what, what are the sins of Jeroboam, right? That's, that's weird. What are the sins of Jeroboam? It refers to the, the installations of, of golden calves and establishments of, of high places of worship throughout the land of Israel. And so Joram comes on the scene and he says, you know, out of due respect for God's people and, and God, you know, I, I'll tear down the sacred stone of Baal, but I'm going to leave these other golden calves and high places of worship. We'll, we'll worship Yahweh, but we'll just worship these other gods alongside Yahweh. And everyone's going to be happy. Everyone's going to get what they want. We won't step on any toes here. So the king of Israel has divided loyalty in his heart. Now, we, we don't worship other gods today, do we? I mean, we don't have temples that we've built to gods who serve our purposes, right? I want us to pause for a moment and, out, and have honest reflection and search our own hearts. I ask the Lord to search our own hearts. And I, I ask you this question. Are you living a life that is faithful to God alone, that is singular in your loyalty to him? In the church of Nazareth, we call this a life that is entirely sanctified to God, entirely set apart to God. Are you living a life that is singular in its loyalty to him? Because the truth is today that some of us in the church who are confessing Christians are divided in our loyalties to other people or things or worldly values rather than being steadfastly loyal to God alone. 
what kinds of things. Perhaps our loyalties are divided uh, with success, with a sports team. Perhaps they're divided because of a political agenda or a personal opinion. Perhaps the dollar bill or, or entertainment sources like TV shows, the movies, the websites. Perhaps we're divided in our loyalty because of what's feeding us on our social media feeds. Perhaps we're divided in our loyalty because of another relationship or our desire for power or for money and material things. Perhaps we're divided in our loyalty because of our desire for sex and pleasure. That's sensualism, hedonism, the desire to live for whatever makes me feel good. Perhaps we're even divided in our loyalty to God alone because of religion. Andy Minio, a Christian hip-hop artist, said this. We want a God we don't have to trust. We want a God that's okay with lust. We want a God that doesn't ask for much. Some of us serve a God by the name of us. And so as the king of Israel believed, we can often be deceived into thinking that some measure of loyalty, being responsible and behaving pretty, pretty well, is, is good enough and it pleases God. But according to God and his word, that just is not true. That is a lie from the enemy of your soul. And so I ask, are we loyal to the one who has redeemed us? I wonder what would happen today if we applied the same standards of loyalty to our relationship with God that we expect from other areas and other people in our lives. Because I want to take this idea of holiness, of being entirely sanctified to God, and make it understandable and practical for you today. So I wonder if we would take that same standard of loyalty in our relationship with God and as we expect from other areas of our life. So if your car starts once every three tries, is it reliable? If the postman skips delivery every Monday and Thursday, is he trustworthy? And if you don't go to work once or twice a month just because, are you a faithful and reliable employee? Perhaps if your fridge stops working for a day or two every now and then, do you just say, well, oh well, it works most of the time. If you skipped a couple of electricity bill payments, do you think the power company would mind? You see, we expect loyalty and reliability from things and from other people in our lives, isn't it reasonable that God just might expect the same from us? You see, when we look at the life of Elisha, and I encourage you, I encourage you the rest of the street, read, keep reading in 2 Kings, read the life of Elisha. But when we look at his life and the story of Scripture, do we turn in a blind eye to the faithfulness of our God and think that it's unreasonable that he would expect total loyalty and devotion and faithfulness from his people. Oswald Chambers, Oswald Chambers said this, he said, Christianity is not consistency to a conscience or to convictions. Christianity is being true to Jesus Christ. And so the issue we have to face this morning is whether we're truly loyal to the Lord who gave the commandment to love him with all in the Old Testament and repeated it in the New Testament in the flesh in Jesus. Are we loyal to the one? And so now that we have God's understanding of loyalty, we ask what does steadfast loyalty look like? What does it look like lived out and how is that kind of life even 
possible, Pastor? How's that life even possible? And so now we look at how he wants, how he, God, wants loyalty to be lived out in our lives. And the first way is completely undivided. Completely undivided, demonstrating steadfast, faithful love in relationship with him. What does that look like practically? What does that look like practically? Well, a few years ago, I had the chance to sit with an 85-year-old man. Some of you may have known him. His name is Sam Pickenpaul. He was a saint of the church, had worked in and been a part of the church most of his life. And I sat before him. This is my first encounter with him, and he's dying from cancer. It would be shortly after that that the Lord would take him home. And, and I sat with him, and, and he said, uh, do you mind if I share my testimony, my story of God's faithfulness in my life? Right? That's what we call our testimony. It's the story of what God's done in our lives, his grace at work in our lives. And I, and I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to hear it. And so, so he starts off telling me, he said, I had everything going for me. You know, I was going to be an engineer um, I, at 17. I was about to graduate high school. I had an internship lined up with this company right close to the college I was going to. The man told me, Son, like, you know, when you graduate, you're going to have a, a first-class job here. He said, so that, I had my plans in place, and I was ready to roll. And he said, shortly before I graduated high school, I was in church, and, and I felt uh, uh, there was an invitation to the altar. And he said, so I went to the altar. I didn't really know why. I just felt God's spirit kind of drawing me to the altar. And I went there, and I said, I felt the spirit of God saying, I have other plans for your life. Will you trust me? And he said, so, so I, I, I wrestled, and I said, all right, I'll trust you. And he said, I changed my plans, and I went to a, a Christian college and began to pursue uh, ministerial studies. And he said, I graduated that college after a few years. And um, he said, immediately at the age of 23, I took a church right out of college. I took a church as the pastor. I was going to step in, and, and I was going to be the hero. This church was having some problems. And he said, I was going to step in there and, and, and take over and lead for the Lord. And he said, there was divisiveness and just um, all kinds of turmoil within the church. And he said, it was weighing so heavy on me. He said, so one night in the town we were living, I, I went outside and I climbed up the hill, the mountain there, right outside the town, and I sat down. He said, and I told the Lord, Lord, if this is all that you have, then I'm done. I, if, this is, if this is all that there is, I can't, I can't go on any longer like this. I can't do this. He said, I can't, I can't, I can't fulfill this calling that you have on my life. I, I just can't. And he said he sat there and he said it was, it was, almost, it was almost like I could, he could see it visibly. But he said he saw the Lord speaking to his heart. And, and, and he, he saw the hand of the Lord reach out with a blank contract. A blank contract and said, Sam, will you sign your name to it? Will you sign your name to the blank contract of the rest of your life? Will you give me the rest of your life and let me fill in the details? He said, so I, I have it. And, and this he's 85. He's dying of cancer. He's telling me this story from way back, right? This is 60-some years later. And he's telling me, and he says, I can still remember it as if it was, it was real. Signing that contract and saying, God, you fill in the details. My life is yours. My life is yours. What does it practically look like? Elisha, the man we're reading about, if we go back to 1 Kings chapter 19, it's when he shows up on the scene. And the scene in 1 Kings 19 sets the stage for the remainder of Elisha's life. It says that his life is centered around economic success. It says that he's plowing behind 12 yoke of oxen. And in that day, 12 yoke of oxen would have been, uh, would have been a sign of economic success. 
And so it says he's plowing, just doing his, engaged in the everyday task of tilling the soil, tilling the soil, sorry, um, tilling the soil, and he encounters God, and he's immediately and irrevocably transformed. It says he's tilling the soil, and the prophet Elijah is looking for someone. He's saying, God, who, who will take over the mantle of prophet to represent you to the people? And he says, Elisha. And so he finds Elisha in the field in the middle of his daily work, and he throws his cloak upon him as a symbol to say, God has called you, God has called you to follow him. And his life is, is immediately and irrevocably transformed as he has encountered the presence of God Almighty. Suddenly, to Elisha, class and wealth are dispensable. Because the story says that Elisha turns his prized oxen, the 12 oxen that he had yoked up, it says he slaughters them and cooks a barbecue for the community. And then he follows after Elijah to be his water boy and to serve him in the service of the Lord, to be his aid, to follow after God with all that he is. Elisha demonstrated faithful love to God alone because at that moment in his life, he had surrendered his life completely to God. Another example. What's another example? Let's look at Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her response in Luke chapter 1. And, it, and we, we look at it every Christmas, right? It's part of the Christmas story, but we, we shouldn't ever get it, um, used to it. Because we got a girl barely past puberty. She's got to have some plans. She's, wanted, she's about to get married. You know, she's probably got some vision of what that's going to look like. And God sends an angel. It shows up in her presence and says, you're going uh, to give birth to the Son of God. Woo. And Mary says this, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She wasn't undivided in her loyalty. She didn't give any excuses. She didn't provide a rationale or a reason for why she wasn't fit for that calling. While that seemed a little bit extreme, Mary demonstrated faithful love to God alone. And I believe this response of Mary of loyalty in this moment in her life and throughout the rest of her life is because she has taken a step of complete surrender of her life to God alone. So what about you, Pastor? Let's make it real. I was engaged in ministry. I'd been on staff with the church for just over three years. For just over three years. And then God brought me to this place in my life, right? So I had surrendered some things. I had surrendered some habits and some attitudes, but there were, still, there were still some plans and some, some sin that had, had rooted itself deep in my heart and my, my dreams and my family. And, and God brought me to this place in my life where I had to face the reality that my loyalty was divided. And he wanted it all. And so on June 14th, I can tell you the day, June 14th, 2017, as I, as I fell to the ground in my half bath in my townhouse we used to listen to, yeah, in a bathroom, and, and I fell to the ground, and I basically prayed a prayer like Sam's. I said, God, I need you to step in and take over, or I'm going to wreck this ship. And I signed the blank contract of the rest of my life and said, God, you got to fill in the details. Because living completely undivided in our loyalty to God is only possible through completely surrendering our will. 
It's signing that blank contract of the rest of your life and saying, God, it's yours. Fill in the details. So how does he want loyalty to be lived out? The first is completely undivided and then daily over a lifetime. Daily over a lifetime. Jesus said these words in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Then he said to them, this is Jesus, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Take up their cross daily. Take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self, their very soul? Following after God, being entirely sanctified is a, is a moment of surrender, but then it happens daily over a lifetime. And you'll find that God's favor follows those who are steadfastly loyal to him. That doesn't mean heartache and hardships aren't going to come. But you'll find that his favor, his presence will follow those who are steadfastly loyal to him. And listen, brothers and sisters, I want want you to get this clear this morning. We do not have within ourselves the ability or enough goodness, no matter how hard we try, on our own power and strength by tightening up our bootstraps. We don't have anything in us that's able to purify ourselves and our motives before a holy God. It's only possible by coming to the end of ourselves and receiving the grace of God in an act of surrendering our life completely to him. And the good news is he, he enables us. He gives us the power to live that way. Listen, he doesn't want to just cleanse you from the guilt of your sin and self-centeredness. Yes, he came to do that. But he's got more for you. He wants to free you from the power of sin in your life. Of self-centeredness in your life. That's the hope of holiness. That's the transformative power of the gospel. It's not that Jesus just came to forgive you so you could feel good or or wash your sins away so you could go to heaven one day. Yes, that is a true reality, but there's more. He wants to bring freedom into your life. He wants to break those powers of darkness that have held you down. And so loving God with all my heart, soul, and mind means being completely loyal to him. And not giving part of my heart, soul, or mind to something or to someone else. So is your loyalty divided today? Or are you demonstrating steadfast, faithful love in your relationship with him? Because the bottom line is this. As the worship team comes and prepares a song of response, the bottom line is this. And it's on the screen here. That steadfast loyalty is lived out over a lifetime. But it's only possible through completely surrendering our life to God. It's lived out over the rest of your life, but it's only possible through an act of complete surrender. What we call in the church, entirely sanctifying ourselves before a holy God, being set apart for him alone. And so as the band comes and prepares a song of response, would you stand with me this morning? Would you stand with me? I'm going to invite you to respond to the word of God. 
And maybe some of you this morning are like, I've never surrendered. God's dealing with me. But maybe some of you were like me. Maybe you've surrendered some attitudes or some habits that you've had. But you've never surrendered at all. You've never given him your life. And listen, this is for everyone from the age of 12 to the age of 82. If you're still breathing, then he's not done with you. How's the old children's song go? He's still working on me, right? To make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars. How loving and gracious he must be. Because he's still working on me. So maybe he's inviting you today to be entirely sanctified, entirely set apart for him, to sign the blank contract of the rest of your life. Listen, we're going to sing a song here. It's a classic worship uh, song of praise. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Won't you trust him with everything today? It's one of those things, right? It's one of those things you have to try it to understand it. You're not going to understand peace that passes all understanding until you surrender it all to him. Living completely undivided in our loyalty is only possible through completely surrendering our will to him. It's the only way that you and I can truly love Jesus passionately. So this is an invitation to complete surrender this morning. On the speakers up here, there's ink pens. There's some blank pieces of paper. And this is just an outward response if God's doing something by grace in your heart this morning. If you want to respond and say, God, maybe I've surrendered a habit or an attitude, but I've never really given you everything. I've never really given you my dreams, my plans, my family, my finances. I'm going to give it all to you today. I invite you to respond. You can take a piece of paper, sign it, sign your name to the paper, and just lay it at the foot of the cross. That's just going to be an outward response to what God's doing in your heart this morning. If he's speaking to you today. And by faith, through his grace, I believe you will see his will become yours in your life. May it be so today. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.